Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And today, I'm really excited to be bringing you another awesome interview on the show. And today's interview is with Bob Claggett, who is the founder of a channel on YouTube called I Like to Make Stuff. He's also got a website called I Like to Make Stuff.com, and his channel is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, DIY-related channels on YouTube, and I am a huge fan of it. And He's made video tutorials and project videos on things like how to make a secret door that opens up, like a bookcase door that opens up and goes into a secret passage. He's done videos on how to make an arcade machine, and uh, the video that I discovered him by was a video on how to make an overhead shooting rig for your camera, and that is why you've been seeing some cool overhead shots in some of my more recent videos, so you can thank Bob for uh, basically teaching me how to do that. And I wanted to talk with him on the show because I just am really interested in how people with really cool careers got to where they are. And I just love hearing people's stories. And I think having a career where you wake up every day and you get to build all sorts of cool projects is pretty freaking cool. So that is what I'm talking with Bob about in this episode. But we also talk a little bit about his productivity system and how he manages tons of different projects all at once. And he's definitely got a more complex setup even than what I've got going on. So I was really interested to hear what kind of apps he uses and his whole process. And we also talk a little bit about DIY itself. And we get a little bit into what kind of tools you might want to have around the house or your dorm room just so you can fix things that come up in your life. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. You can find show notes over at CIGpodcast.com. Find the episode 123 link on the page, and you can find all sorts of links, including his website itself, which is iliketomakestuff.com. You can also find ways to review and rate the show if you want to support it. So definitely thank you if you do that. And that is all I've got for this intro. So let's get into the interview with Bob. Well, hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the show. So I found your channel because I was looking to build an overhead camera rig and you had a video on it and it was excellent. <laughs> and then I was looking at all your videos and I was just kind of like, how does somebody learn to build like the just staggering amount of things that you've been able to build? And also just the fact that your job is building cool things all day and making videos of it is really cool. And I thought it would be fun to do an interview to see like how how you got from wherever you started to here and also just talk about kind of your daily work and what goes into a, a project that you work in that you work on yeah yeah sounds great cool so i got a bunch of questions but i've been curious about this little tiny thing for a while you have a black <laughs> wedding ring oh yeah what is I that do. it's silicone i don't you won't be able to show this i guess but i'll show it to you okay. it's uh it's made of silicone and so it's rubber and it squishes And this company is actually a sponsor. They sponsor some of my videos, but Mm -hmm. I would be using it even if they weren't. The whole purpose of it is safety, basically. So when you're working with tools or anything dangerous and you have this metal thing on your finger, if it gets caught, it's going to... Oh, yeah. It's not going to break as fast as your finger's going to break, basically. So uh, by putting rubber on there, it's actually a lot more comfortable as well. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if it gets caught on a tool... It's going to go and your finger is going to be okay. I've got a friend who's a Blackhawk pilot and um, they're not allowed to wear their wedding rings. I think most helicopter pilots are kind of that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was telling me one time when I first got this, I showed it to him and he was like, oh, yeah, I have to get one of those. I saw a friend of mine get degloved. Oh, man. Yeah, I was was good. Oh, yeah, here you go. (laughs) Have all the rings that I have. Take them, you know. (laughs) I was going to use the word, but just the mental imagery. Ugh. 
Yeah. It's tough. So do you wear that exclusively or do you switch from metal one to that one when you're working? I wear this exclusively now. I thought I would just kind of use it uh, when I was in the shop as mm. a safety thing, but it's so much more comfortable <laughs> than yeah. having this metal thing. I mean, I guess I'm just weird. I have like giant knuckles. So to get a ring over my knuckle, it has to be too big. Oh. And so then I have this like jangly metal thing. And so anyway, these are just m- more comfortable. I wear and it all that the thing time. can probably stretch a little bit, right? Yeah, it stretches. And, um, you know, if you're like into outdoors, you do things outdoors, it's a lot more comfortable. When it gets sweaty, it's not a big deal. And it doesn't pick up like oils and greases and stuff. So it's, yeah. it's just a better choice for me all the way around. And I'm guessing your wife is a practical enough person not to care too much. Yeah, she doesn't care. She actually plays roller derby. And so it works for her as well. She's, really? Yeah, they're not allowed to have uh, rings that stick out like an engagement ring would, you know, have mm-hmm. a stone. That sticks out. So she can put on a couple of these and she's safe. That's awesome. You know, Watch my girlfriend safe. actually. Safe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just bringing in the brass knuckles to your roller derby yeah. match. My girlfriend yeah. wants to do roller derby at some point and she oh. does a lot of DIY costuming stuff. So nice. Should we get married? That might be an option. I've actually had anxiety about that. I'm just like, I don't want to wear this metal thing on my finger for the rest of my life. But yeah. it's kind of the thing you do. So, yeah, yeah. Not That's, everybody does it. But yeah, you know. not everybody. But, you know, some people do. <laughs> so I'm interested in how you got started, because I, I would imagine it takes a ton of time to learn how to do all the things you do. What got you interested in doing DIY stuff? Well, that's kind of a weird question. I mean, a weird answer, not a weird question. Mm. So I guess I'm not terribly interested in DIY. So the thing that I think there's like a weird misconception where I make a lot of different types of projects and people see a certain project and they think that that's like where my interest lies. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of, I've kind of defined it in my own head as like one level up where I'm interested in learning and I'm interested in gathering skills and trying new things and experimenting. And that takes the form of a lot of different types of projects. And DIY, like kind of home DIY is one of those things. Yeah. But really, the thing that I love and the thing that I strive for is learning new stuff. And so sometimes that means learning more about something that I already know. Sometimes that means taking on a new skill that I have no business doing at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> which happens a lot. Um, but so because of that, I think it, you know, my where I am now started from when I was a kid. Uh, I was always looking for something new to get into and something new to try out. And so I didn't go to school to learn in necessarily any of the things that I do now on a daily basis, but they were all a result of, you know, kind of compound learning throughout my life. Yeah. I think. So, so. you're more of like a, a skill development junkie then sort of. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> this guy I know, uh, Jesse, he actually has a website called skill hoarder. Okay. And I, I love that name because it's just like he's he's gathering skills just for the sake of gathering skills. And that's that's a really awesome thought. I like that a lot. I have to look this up. <laughs> you know, I think you and I are kind of like in that regard then. Because when mm. I think to the things I really like to do, and I don't know if you've ever gotten this, but my friends make fun of me for going through phases. <laughs> like I'm always getting teased like, oh, what's Tom's next phase? Oh, you're doing this one? Are you going to, uh, right. you're going to be gone. That one's going to be gone in three months. And yeah. They always just make fun of me for getting overly obsessed with stuff. And I'm seeing some like musical instruments in the background of your office there. I wonder if that's part of it as well. Yeah, that's kind of part of it. I mean, yeah. that's been a long part of my life since I was probably six years old when I started playing music. So mm. that's one of those things that has gone on, even mm-hmm. though I don't play that much now. But yeah, I'm kind of the same way where I get like really interested in a certain thing for a while and I get 
not great at it, but good enough at it to be able to do it. And then I'm like, okay, well, what's the next thing I can add to that pile? You know, yeah. nobody makes fun of me for it though, which is nice. Uh, lucky you. <laughs> maybe nobody notices except for me. I don't know. Or maybe you're just around people who are cool with it. I don't know. My yeah, friends love to just make fun of me for it, but it's like the whole first 20 hours concept, right? You just spend a ridiculously concentrated small chunk of time on something and you get good enough at it that you can at least teach someone else or appear yeah. that you're a peer expert at it at least. Yeah. So for the most part, they just took the form of DIY stuff, I guess. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, th- I still think that changes over time. You know, originally when I started doing, I like to make stuff, the kind of the reason for it was I'd been doing software for like 15 years or something and, you know, face down on a computer for that long made, made me want to like do some stuff with my hands, but I needed to be able to justify it. So sharing the knowledge that I was learning seemed like a good way for me to justify that time mm-hmm. to put it into there. And so at that point it was like anything I could do to get my hands in motion was what I was interested in. And, oh, um, yeah. and so then once that kind of mutated into this whole other thing that I wasn't really expecting, what I was doing with my hands started to matter a little bit more. And so then it was about like, well, okay, what haven't I tried yet? What haven't I learned? Or how can I take these two separate things skill sets that don't really have anything to do with each other. How can I use them in a certain project together? So yeah, it's, it's changing constantly. Yeah. So originally it was just kind of an outlet to move more pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, you know, I got to a place where I'd been building websites and applications for, uh, marketing stuff, which I like fell out of. I just felt gross about trying to convince people that they need stuff that they didn't actually need. Mm-hmm. And so then I moved to product development. So I was making things specifically for people to solve their problems. And that felt really good. But then I found later on that I was doing that for, I was solving problems for a problem that I didn't really care about personally. Oh yeah. So, so then it, you know, it kind of changed over time in those three things. And then I was like, well, I just want to solve problems. I want to like come up with, and, and by problem, I mean, not like world problems, like, oh, that table is too short. I yep. should make that table taller. <laughs> That's a problem <laughs> I could solve, you know. So I started looking for things that I could like make an, a small impact on mm-hmm. really quickly and that weren't feeding some giant corporate machine somewhere else that I didn't really have any investment in. Yeah. And so that's how I started finding these projects that I could do on the side as a hobby to kind of scratch some of my itches. Now, did this start before the YouTube channel? Was it just kind of a hobby at first? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I've always I've always made stuff my entire life, you know, just here and there. I used to make like a lot of skateboard ramps and climbing walls and all sorts of random stuff. But um, yeah, when I was doing software, it it just came up as a hobby, really just to kind of keep me sane. I have four young kids working from home. And so like I just needed a thing that was me. Yeah. And so it was it was really an outlet for that. And then um. I was like, well, like I said, I needed to justify it. So I'll share it. I'll start a blog and I'll put that information that I'm, you know, take pictures of what I'm doing and put it on the blog to share some knowledge. I did that for a while and then realized that like, wow, editing photos takes a really long time. <laughs> Writing these big, long explanations of how I'm doing things takes a really long time. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know how to do video from college. Maybe I should just make videos. And it was so much easier, so much faster and more gratifying. And I felt like it was a little more kind of capturing the spirit of what I wanted to do instead yeah. of just typing. And so, yeah, like I said, it just mutated into something that I wasn't expecting. (laughs) So wait, do you still find video to be quicker than a blog post with pictures? 
I don't know that it's actually quicker now, but <laughs> it, it does a better job of telling the story for me personally. Yeah. Some people are natural writers and they can write something in a way that explains it far more, you know, in depth than they could otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, being able to tell a story of how a thing gets from one state to another state, video is, is just the best way for me to do that. So, yeah. And the way you do it is, is really, really polished. So I was wondering if, if you were actually cranking these out really quickly, because ironically enough, the first blog post that ever did really well for me was a DIY, just Hmm. fun little project. I had the idea to, what if I hung a desk off of my loft bed from chains and took pictures of it and people really liked it. But that took like 10% of the time it takes me to make a video. Yeah. It just takes so long. I don't know. Maybe you feel the same. For me, once I accumulate a new skill or kind of a new technique for for video, I feel bad if I don't use it (laughs) in like every video going forward. So it just exponentially increases the production time. (laughs) Yeah, that that could be a problem. No, I don't I don't (laughs) really focus on that so much. In fact, I try to probably introduce really subtle new things Mm -hmm. and leave out things that I've used. So I'll like kind of cycle these new features or whatever through. Yeah. And I also try to not point those differences out so that people don't realize that they're seeing change over time mm-hmm. throughout my videos. So if you were to go back and watch a whole bunch of my videos in chronolo- chronological order, you would see these really slight changes from one to the other and things would get entirely left behind, like certain types of transitions or certain yeah. types of you know color grading or whatever would get left behind mm-hmm. and you may not even notice it. So I try not to compound them because yeah, yeah. you're right. That would just end up <laughs> making it awful. <laughs> and the tough part is, I mean, as the creator, that's the kind of stuff that sticks out. But when I think of, you know, what was the audience watching this video for? They're probably not watching it for a 20 frame custom easing, you know, curve on this transition. Yeah. They're right. watching it to learn something new. So I've started to adopt a little bit of that philosophy as well. Where it's just yeah. like this wasn't actually needed. And now that I'm kind of bored with it because it's no longer a new skill I'm learning, it doesn't need to be there, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah. And kind of like that in, in the storytelling aspect of it, one thing I've tried to do is, you know, like if you're in the shop, imagine you're in the shop and you're making a thing. You have all this context for like what's about to happen, what you're doing, what you're working on and how it relates to everything else. Mm-hmm. As, that's a part of this project. And that's the way I looked at a lot, all my videos at first. And then I realized that somebody standing on the opposite side of my shop watching me do that stuff doesn't have the context for what I'm about to do. Like yeah. they don't, they don't know how to, how I got from like A to B unless I show them. And so when I realized that I had to start thinking ahead about like, well, if I'm going to show this piece and then I'm going to show that piece they need to understand how these two are related. So I try like with the camera, for instance, I'll try to, to show where I'm going or not jump from one shot to the other where they're like totally separate, totally don't have anything to do with each other Mm -hmm. because people get lost. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of the same thing where like you have to, you have to think about like who's watching it and you know what they're able to see versus what you can see, which is pretty different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's something I've tried to, to work in more and more. Yeah. Like, does your cut imply, you know, a a sensible progression of time from one step to the next? Right. To somebody who is just completely an outsider. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear about your process for doing a project. And I feel like one of the most challenging things for you might be 
what do you do when you're just sitting around thinking or you're trying things and they don't work? Because I don't know, maybe you're like a master at this, but whenever nope. I do a DIY project, I probably <laughs> screw up about 10 times before I figure out something that actually works. Yeah. So and I don't know, maybe you're just really good at planning, but um, do you I just do... leave them all rolling for an hours at a time or how does that work? No. I do totally overplan. That's just part of my personality is mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll think of an idea. Like I've got all these sheets of paper that you can't see on my desk here and they have like sketches and like I'll start something and then I'll set it down until I can fully think through that thing before I actually start building it. So I definitely overthink, but no, I'm not a master of any of this stuff. Like a lot of it I'm doing for the first time. So I definitely make mistakes on camera and I try to leave them in as much as possible. So okay. people don't think like, Oh, he does everything right the first time because <laughs> I certainly do not because <laughs> that's counter to what my goal is with all this stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely overthink it. But in my process, I will plan as much as I can and probably a little more than I should. And then I just get into it. Like I've found that if I if I don't force myself to like, OK, we have to exit the planning phase and get into the action phase, mm-hmm. then I, I will just plan indefinitely. Yeah. And so there's a point where I just have to switch over and start making stuff and just deal with the the failures or the, you know, unplanned stuff as I go. Right. And, you know, those are different for every type of project because I do a wide range of things, some that I'm OK at, some that I'm not good at at all. So, you know, those bring the history with those different skills, bring a certain amount of like comfort or problem solving that I've done before. So some things are just more prone to problems than other things are. Yeah. Do you find that your plans are maybe well thought out up to a certain stage before you just jump in? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I think I think one of my skills is planning and, and trying to think through problems before I actually get to them. Yeah. But like I said, there is I realize about myself that there's a point where I have to just be like, OK, go. You mm. know? And so I don't ever solve everything before I, <laughs> I run into it. Has but that ever? I think that is. I think that is one of my skills is pre-planning. Yeah. Has that process of planning up to a certain extent ever led you to a point where the project is just unfixable? No. You know, somebody was asking me that recently, if I've had any just major failures where Mm -hmm. I just had to walk away, just like burn it and, you know, okay, that one didn't work. I don't think I've had anything like that because on our podcast, we've talked about failure before and how in my mind, and people have different opinions on this, my mind nothing can really fail unless you give up, unless mm. you are the one that says this thing is dead. I'm walking away. I look at thing at problems and, you know, air quotes failures as this is a point where I have to change my goal. So rather than saying that this, you know, this chair is, is now lopsided, right? And I can't yeah. uncut those two legs. So instead of the goal being a chair, maybe that goal could be a stool. And so then I can cut the other two legs and make the whole thing shorter. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. reevaluate the end goal based on the new situation and just try to make something out of it. So in my mind, I don't think that I've had any projects that have been complete failures. They have changed, you know, and I've, I've modified like what the expectation was, but I try not to let things just really fail. Yeah. <laughs> if possible. That makes sense. I was actually talking to somebody recently on the money podcast and she's like this pretty successful photographer who now owns a bunch of franchises, photo studio franchises. And she was talking about this whole idea that kind of extrapolating what you just said to your career and life in general, it's more just the attitude you take with wherever you get. 
It's not that you're going to any specific destination. And if you don't get exactly there, you failed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, that totally makes sense. I definitely didn't plan on being here. And I don't know if you planned <laughs> on doing a DIY channel when you were, I don't know, 18 years old. Nope. I didn't plan <laughs> on it until about a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you like? I'm, I'm really curious about learning resources. What do you do to learn the skills you need to acquire other than just trying things out? I mean, I've, I've gotten, you know, pretty familiar over the last couple of years, gotten pretty familiar with a lot of people who do kind of similar stuff online. And mm -hmm. so I have a, I have a lot of resource, a lot of people that I can just reach out to and ask for help. Okay. And I don't think that's special to me. I don't think that's because, you know, I'm also on YouTube that I have access to that. I think generally in the, the world that I'm in, there is a huge amount of free knowledge, people just willing to share their experience and share their, you know, what their skill set and like the details of how they do what they do. And so I think a lot of that is out there and people are really willing to share it, but you have to ask. And so mm -hmm. I have to actively go to people who are better at welding and say, how do I do this? I don't, I, you know, I'm bad at whatever. Yeah. What am I doing wrong? And honestly, I've never had anybody say, I don't have time to help you or it's not worth my while to help you explain, mm -hmm. you know, something to you. So I think at this point, it's really just a lot of like reaching out just doing some like online research. There's so much resource on YouTube and on just the internet in general that it's almost impossible not to find something helpful if you go look for it at least a little bit. Now, mm -hmm. those resources are pretty different than like a pure education resource, you know, like a professor who is someone who you would think is qualified. Yeah. That's kind of a trusted source. The internet is not always full of trusted sources, but you will most likely find something that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I do these days. So for the most part, you're just actually reaching out to people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll I'll do casual searches and see if I can find what I need first. And if not, if I can't find the, the specifics or I already know somebody that's a trusted source, I'll go to yeah. that trusted source first. But yeah. Did you have any sort of like familiar haunts or websites that you really trusted before you had all these friends? Instructables. Oh com. yeah. 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 It's a good one. It's, it's one of those where anybody can post things. Mm -hmm. So not every thing there is trusted, but the environment and the community there just fosters sharing. And so people that make the effort to go post there generally have something worthwhile that they want to share. You yeah. Know? So I think that's cool. A lot of it is just about finding trusted sources is a lot about finding the communities of people who really want to share. Instructables is definitely one of those. Mm hmm. Other than that, I can't really think of any sites. That's the big the one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. And I, I've got a couple of tutorials I put on Instructables oh, a cool. while back. So that was a really cool one. I sometimes always use, have you ever heard of Stack Exchange? Actually, wait. Oh, You're yeah. a programmer, so there's like yeah. no chance you haven't heard of it. I think there's a home <laughs> improvement one that I've been on quite a few times. Huh. Learned some cool things on. There probably is. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there actually when I was writing code. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm curious about your schedule because you get videos out once a week. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I already have enough of a struggle doing that, but my videos are basically like do a bunch of research, then film, then edit. And yours are that, but then there's this huge extra step of you have to build the thing. Yeah. So I mean, like, how are you, do you build multiple projects at one time or is it just super duper fast? It's a combination. It kind of depends because some of the projects you know, can be physically built in a day. Mm -hmm. Some of them are multiple week long 
things. Yeah. And I think, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I think planning is, an, you know, like I said, is and planning out projects is one of my strengths, mm-hmm. one of my skills that I, it's probably stronger than some of my physical skills. <laughs> so I think I have a, a decent process for, for setting out, looking at a particular project and saying, okay, this one is going to take me a week to find the materials. It's going to take a week to build. It's going to take a week to whatever, you know? And so I build out these schedules and then I look at all of these separate schedules and how do I, how do they overlap? So what can I do to have something done for next week while I'm starting on the thing for the following week? And a lot of that is really just based out of experience. I know that a project of a certain size is going to take a certain amount of time. I know that you know, certain materials are things I have to order. Certain things are local that I can just get quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of that is just that planning process is just the experience of having done it a few times. At the same time, I'm constantly trying to get things done just in time to get them released. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not I'm not trying to give the illusion that like I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I plan everything and everything runs smoothly and timelines are great and stuff. Yeah. Um, I have an editor now who's been working with me for close to a year. Oh, cool. And so at first I edited all my videos myself and Mm -hmm. then he came on, he's a good friend of mine and he came on one day a week to edit. And so he mimicked my style. Like we kind of taught him my editing style. Mm -hmm. And so he's been editing them for about a year and almost a year. And that's made a huge difference because that frees me up with an entire day's worth of shop time. Yeah. Which is helping me start to get, ahead a little bit in my planning and it just gives me more physical time in the week to to build stuff you know so i'm really curious about that actually so is your editor your first experience with delegating a huge portion of your business out no well with this business yes Mm -hmm. but actually after college i started a web development firm with a friend of mine and we grew to about 14 people and then we sold that to an ad agency and then i was kind of a vice president there for a while. And so I have a fair amount of experience leading a dev team or having employees and it was a different setting, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I've had to do that before, like be able to delegate and let go of some responsibility, which is hard when you own, you know, but at the same time with this guy specifically, but also in those other companies, we tried to hire people that we knew or we were, you know, we really had a good handle on who they were and the type of people they were. So right. we, they were super trustworthy. So we weren't scared to say, you're running this project, you know, it's on you if it doesn't work. And and that, for the most part, worked out fine. Mm-hmm. But like with this guy, he's a good friend of mine. He actually worked for me at some of those other companies. <laughs> oh, okay. That's so, cool. So that, that's been cool. But so we don't have any... Uh, there's no trust issues there. He's like the one person that I would want working for me, if anybody. So. Yeah. Before you brought him on, for you, what was the editing process like? Was it, did you find like a lot of your creativity came out in the editing or was it more just kind of a means to an end to tell the story? Um, I think it was more of a means to an end. My hmm. editing is not terribly complex or anything. I think, if anything, I put more effort into the shooting. Mm-hmm. So my whole approach is to shoot the entire, every bit of action and then we edit that down to only action so the editing is really just like a kind of culling of all the footage it's not it's not like super there's no you know drama that you're trying to create through the edit or anything like that which is a big part of dramatic editing 
it's more of just like there is a, a finite amount of action that needs to be shown and we have to cut down everything that's not that action. So mm. that's his job. My job right now, because I'm still running camera, is to make sure that everything is visible. I have things visually highlighted and framed like they need to be framed so that, you know, I'm, I'm getting focus on the stuff that I want. Yeah. And that's something that I'm still trying to figure out and mm-hmm. like I'll go back and watch a video from a couple of weeks ago and go oh man that shot if, if I just move stuff off the table mm. that that shot would have been far more you know simple and easier to understand for somebody who was looking at it so yeah I'm still I'm still learning a lot of stuff like that in the shooting process uh, I actually had this written down do you find that you have to go back and reshoot anything you know I, I like I watched your outdoor kitchen sink video and there was one little tiny shot where you were showing some little tiny part. And I wondered, like, did you actually think to show that part during the shooting process or did you have to go back and redo it later on? I will occasionally go back and shoot some like B-roll for those little things. Mm-hmm. But often it's in the moment. I know that like if I'm holding a thing that's a small detail, it's not going to be obvious at a zoomed out shot. So I'll, I'll think I need to show this up close. So and also it depends on if those parts are permanently attached you know, like, I, mean, yeah. I can't even think of a good example, but if, if a little part is going to be hidden after it's attached, I have to show it <laughs> before it's gone. Yeah. So, um, well, one good example I, is you were, you put that putty in between the little, the tube that was attaching to the bottom of the sink. And I'm mm-hmm. guessing that does that permanently attach it there? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have to redo it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have, you basically have to shoot that in the moment. Otherwise you just yeah. don't get it pretty much. Right. So that's why this that's constantly. part of why I why I try to shoot every bit of action so mm-hmm. that I have everything. And then that B-roll type stuff is just I try to do it when I can. I could probably actually do more of that to get a little bit more explanation, mm-hmm. but you know, figure it out as I go. So you said you have 7 cameras hooked up to your computer for live <laughs> yeah. streaming. How many yeah. cameras are you running when you're doing a project? Uh typically only one. Occasionally really? I'll use yeah, cuz I I have it on I have multiple tripods and so uh-huh. I can move it quickly from one to the other. Typically only one camera. Occasionally I'll use a GoPro for time lapse, mm-hmm. but really I found that that's actually kind of a hassle. So I end up doing everything in my main camera for the most part. Interesting. I yeah. do have to say your practice of using the Joby heads. Mm. I have just, I've stolen that. Oh, good. <laughs> there good. are Joby heads on every tripod now and it makes a ridiculous difference. It does. I didn't realize just how much of a hassle screwing tripod heads on all the time is until I did that. And oh my gosh. Yeah. It was the the overhead shooting rig that really did it. Because just having that there, just click, ready to go. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool to be able to shoot something instantaneously. Yeah. It's it's really handy. I mean, that's that's made my workflow a lot easier to deal with, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that whole process of, I don't know, one thing I'm always thinking about with my work is how can I cut some little part of the process out or automate mm-hmm. it, make it as quickly as possible. And yeah, it just makes things, it makes it easier to be creative, I think. Yeah, I, I always look for any way to cut out stuff that gets in the way. And that's definitely one of them. Another thing that I, and this is a cost issue for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. I work on, I, I focus on like having redundancy in everything. Yeah. So I have multiple chargers with multiple batteries for every camera. I have mm. cards, uh, memory cards that are always free, like three mm-hmm. or four 
more than I should have. <laughs> but I, I've just got them stocked up so that anytime something gets in the way, I don't have to ever have to wait for a battery to charge on any camera. I don't ever have to wait for a free memory card if I fill one up. You know, yeah. hard drives, it's, there's redundancy everywhere so that I can just keep working. Do you do any kind of my, pre-flight checklist kind of thing before you film? No, I've uh, I've been... I'm running so fast on filming these days and I've been doing enough of it that kind of all of the tech is just kind of a process now mm-hmm. and I just run through it. It's not a big deal. The The thing that I do have to do that with is live streaming. That's relatively new mm-hmm. for me. And there are a lot of points of failure in live streams. And so I, I actually do have a list on my computer of things to make sure that are running or open or closed or whatever, you know, to make sure... Yeah. Before I actually start streaming. I've still have yet to fully figure out live streaming because <laughs> I try to do it with with video games. And I had this mm-hmm. little idea in my mind of like, what if people can ask me questions about education and stuff, but also be watching a game so it's fun? But oh, I don't cool. know. It, it seems like every every live streaming program has some little glitch that makes it just just the like tiniest bit unusable for what I want. So yeah, I've got more work yeah. to do on that, I guess. <laughs> what's your productivity system like? Cause I would imagine you, one of the biggest threats to your business is just getting overwhelmed with all the moving parts. What do you mean? Like you, you mean like how, how do I like what apps do you or? use? Like what do you use to take oh, notes okay. and make to-do lists and project lists? Like how do you, what do you plan your projects out in that kind of thing? Gotcha. The biggest thing that I've been using lately and it's, it's making a huge difference is uh, Trello. It's a oh, free, yeah. free app. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember, it may have been like Tim Schmoyer or somebody that told me about it, but it's just, it's for making lists and it's like the simplest thing and it's so general and can be used in so many different ways, but I've just really found a way to make it useful. I used to have, you know, I used to be using Evernote and I would have, I don't even remember a couple of different things and I was trying to like hook them all together and everything. And now it's basically all fallen away except for Trello and I do everything there unless it's long form writing and then I can just do that in whatever. It doesn't really matter. But so yeah, in Trello for anybody that doesn't know that's listening, it's a, you have boards. It's, it's the idea of having a wall board with lists and little post-it notes that you stick on the lists. So you have boards, you have lists, and then you have cards and that's a general enough concept that you can really build it out to be whatever you want. So I have, schedules in that format. I have kind of ideas of different amounts of reality mm-hmm. <laughs> in those. So I have like one list that's like, yeah, this is stuff I can do. I have one list that's like maybe, and then one that's, there's no way I could do it, but it's a great idea. I've got to keep, you know, keep it around. Yeah. So yeah, I, from board to board, I can use that format in a different way to help me keep track of stuff where things are or, um, plan things or, or whatever. And I share it with, some different people that I kind of work with in different ways. So that's really handy as well. So you're actually using Trello for everything you were using Evernote for in addition to to-do lists. Yeah, pretty much. It, Ever, Evernote got to, a, for me, it got to a point where it was just this mass of stuff I couldn't get through. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really, you know, I mean, I know you can search for things, but I didn't exactly know where things were. Yeah. And I really like, I like being able to target like, oh, I need to go see you, you know, whatever on whatever and um mm-hmm. trello lets me know exactly where that stuff is and i can get right to it so okay like i said long form writing if i'm gonna be you know writing out i don't script things but if i am going to be doing anything like that mm-hmm. um i may still use like the notes app or, or evernote but 
really everything's in Trello now. <laughs> as far Interesting. as I know. Yeah. I still use Evernote for almost all idea generation and saving of knowledge. And mm-hmm. what I really wish Evernote could do was I would love to have like multiple tabs in one note. So I could have like, cause I do the research and then I do like yeah. listing on my sources, listing on my graphics and then the script. And I, w- I just have to do like big line breaks. So yeah, you may cool. want to check out, may want to check out one note. It's a free note. I think it's by Microsoft mm-hmm. and it has, you can have tabs within a note. Yeah. So OneNote's cool. And every time I mention one or Evernote, people are like, what about OneNote? Why didn't you mention OneNote, dude? Uh, yeah. And I actually tell students now, I'm like, if you've never used either one, you might want to go to OneNote because Evernote just kind of reduced mm-hmm. their free tier to only two devices, a couple other things. My yeah. brain is like so built on Evernote now. And uh, I use the notebook stacks feature. So I almost have like four levels of organization. So OneNote oh, yeah. can't can't really map one-to-one with like the six years of Evernote <laughs> I've been <Right>. building. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was using Evernote pretty heavily too. And mm-hmm. then I started using Trello for, you know, certain parts of it. Yeah. But I still had Evernote. And then when they changed that licensing thing, I was like, not cool. I got to find something else. Mm-hmm. And so I've been looking around, but I've also realized that I have not tried to enter anything into Evernote since then. So I don't actually need another note-taking app. I, I don't need a replacement. I'm just not using it. So, I mean, it's me personally. But oh. it's funny that, that that particular license change made me actually step back and go, like, this tool is here, but I don't use it. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. I don't need a replacement for it because I don't use it. So I thought that was interesting. But Yeah, for me, it was more like a, is this the the death knell kind of thing? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I can deal with paying a little bit more for premium, but what's going to happen you know, five years down the line, is this going to be around? The biggest gripe yeah. for me right now is it doesn't have um, real-time collaborative editing. Like Google Docs mm-hmm. had that, I don't know, five years ago. So it's like such a pain point for yeah. very specific things I do, like with my co-host on the Money Podcast. But otherwise, I like it a lot. With your Trello stuff, do you do, you do the standard Kanban workflow where you have like the idea list that the cards are on and they move over to you know stage one complete maybe like filming's done then they move over to like editing's done do you kind of track progress like that not exactly i have so i have one board that is all ideas and it's the Mm -hmm. different reality kind of thing like i was mentioning and then i do move them once they're ready to actually go into the schedule i move them to a different board that is the schedule and in that schedule i have lists for each month because i release videos every Thursday. So I know exactly what the release dates are. And so I'll have a list that's September. And then I put a card there with a project name for each one of those release dates. And then within that, I have, I use the labels to be able to say the state of it. So I have labels for needs materials, needs design, needs shooting, you know, needs editing, whatever the, all the different states are. Mm -hmm. And so, and those are colored labels. So when you look at the, the board as a whole, you can see on that card, the colors that, you know, so you can see how much work there is left to be done on that particular one. And so as I do those things, I just go in and uncheck those labels and then, you know, I can see their state change visually. So that's kind of how I use it. And then uh, there's also a calendar view. So if I have due dates on all those things, the release dates, I can flip to calendar view and actually see when they're all going out. So that's nice as well. Do you have all the labels checked at first or do you kind of progress through the labels? I have them all checked at first. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I see all the colors. 
that's gotcha. like danger. There's a lot of work to do. <laughs> and then I, I uncheck them as I go. So okay. when, when something has no labels, I know it's like ready. How far out are you planned for projects? I can tell you, I can pull it up and look at it. If you're further than one week out, then you're better to do better than me. (laughs) (laughs) I've got, yeah, I've got plans, uh, hard plans into November and this is September 1st today. Wow. Okay. So, and not, not every single one, but September is fully planned. Mm -hmm. The first half of October is fully planned. And then I have ideas. And a lot of that is due to sponsorships. Mm. Sponsorships from companies are what really pay my bills. And so, you know, I have to make those agreements with them ahead of time and I have to tell them when it's coming out. So yeah, I built, you know, I have to build the schedule around that partially, not totally, but partially. I just had my first experience with that the other day. Hmm. Somebody emailed asking about sponsorship and I, in the classic fake it till you make it kind of way, cause I've never done a full sponsorship before, but I was like, these are my rates. Here's what I charge. Here's exactly what you get. Just act like you do it. Cause I know, yeah. I know the market rates and the, you know, typically what people charge. And then they come back and they're like, cool, you know, do you have a, do you have an editorial calendar basically? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, kind of, but not like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a rough videos go live somewhere between Thursday and Saturday schedule, but yeah, nothing, nothing quite as crazy. I used to be very strict Thursdays like you are, and maybe I can get back to that someday. I'm curious what changed to make you not be as strict about your schedule couple of different things number one like we talked about uh, a little bit earlier I just I always want to learn a new technique when I make a video like that's kind of a little value of mine is like learn one new thing but I have trouble letting go of the old things Mm. so it gets to the point where where I used to just you know throw a picture up by the side of my head and be done with it now it's like oh this has to be uh easy eased nice pop in with a sound effect and then motion blur and then so the after effects processing takes 10 times as long and everything started taking longer and I just started noticing the videos that I put a ton of effort into are the ones that do really really well Mm. but then they take so much time so and I'm constantly torn between this ideal on one side where I think you kind of live in this ideal where it's like have a strict schedule and be at least weekly if not better and then over on the other side there's people like CGB Grey who publish once every six weeks and just yeah. like work on one thing for a super long period of time. And I kind of never know where where I want to be with that. So yeah, it can I mean, be a struggle. I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with that to different degrees. And it I think it, for me, came down to deciding what I valued the most. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, um, is the consistency more valuable than the polish? And at what level of polish or level of quality is my threshold? Like, you know, it's the 80, 20 thing, you know, yeah. you can, you can put in 80% of the work and it's pretty good. You put in that last 20% of the work and it's actually 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And so I have to, I had to decide at what point am I going to say like done is done. And then when I start planning, part of what helped me do that is planning out multiple months ahead Mm -hmm. and I can look at how much work I have to do. (laughs) And then it makes it a lot easier for me to like, all right, this one's good enough. Let's just put it aside and keep (laughs) moving, you know? So I think that's helped me some, but maybe that should be my next step is actually sit down and plan multiple videos out. Cause I guess the blocker has always been, if I plan on multiple videos, okay, now I must make all these videos, but it sounds like you just kind of get them planned and then you say, all right, parts are coming in for 
you know, the sync project next week. So we'll do it that day and yeah, kind of stuff in the future. Well, and, and I plan, but things are rarely like super hardened into the schedule. So Mm -hmm. I plan to get a path and then that path, I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about at the very beginning. You know, I, I have a path, but then that path will change as I'm going along it because something new comes up where I all of a sudden get an idea that's like, Oh, this would be awesome. I care more about this than what I had planned. Yeah. So, but I think having that plan at least gives you something to, to go down and then, Mm -hmm. you know, be free to change it as you, as you want to. Yeah, exactly. And I I really would like to get back on the schedule. I guess there's just some better planning to do to get it done. (laughs) (laughs) So to start wrapping up, I mean, because you run probably, I don't don't know if you're the biggest DIY channel out there, but you're the one I watch. So I'm going to say the best one. (laughs) Cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit about DIY. And because college students are probably starting with basically nothing, unless Mm -hmm. their parents gave them a crap ton of tools, what are the tools that you find yourself like going back to over and over again? Like what are the essentials? Well, I think it really depends on like what you're talking about doing. Cause there's several different answers there. If you're wanting to, if you're talking about like woodworking stuff, I actually wrote an article about this on my site, but I think it really helps to, to get a, at least a general idea of what it is you're expecting to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to make furniture, basic furniture, that's one thing. If you want to, uh, I don't know, do something smaller, that's a different thing. But in general, for if you're you know, wanting to be able to fix things around the house or make very basic things, I think having a cordless drill or even a corded drill, mm-hmm. they're cheaper. But having that and having a circular saw are the, the most basic power tools that I think you could do. You can do far more with those two than people expect. A circular saw is basically a table saw without the table. Yeah. So if you have that and you have a straight edge, you can cut a long straight cut on a piece of wood. And then you have a lot of freedom there to be able to cut, you know, whatever you need to. Oh, yeah. So like if you get a a four foot ruler and a couple of clamps, Mm -hmm. then you can cut a four by eight sheet of plywood down with a circular saw and have really nice clean cuts. Yeah. So I found having a clamp is like uncommon, like weirdly useful. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's weird just how much a clamp comes in handy. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And, and there's even ways, you know, to do clamping that without clamps. I mean, you could use concrete blocks uh, to hold things together, right? You can use, you can use straps for your car that you may have like to hold stuff to your roof. You can use those as clamps. There's a lot of ways to, to get the effect of having a wooden, uh, a clamp for wood Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily have to have. But I think, you know, having a circular saw and and a drill are like basic stuff that you get a whole lot done with past that. I think maybe a jigsaw. It's my okay. least favorite tool of all time. So was that? I don't. It's just I don't know. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of become like a joke now with uh-huh. people because it's just the thing. Every time I use it, I'm like, ugh, I hate this thing. It's um, it's hard to get nice cuts mm. unless you have a really nice saw. And I just I don't know. I'd prefer other things to it. But that being said, it is a small power tool that you can actually get a lot of. You know, if you needed to cut a curve or something, you, you would want to use that. Yeah. So now that's you know, kind of handy. like the a jigsaw is kind of like the jank version of a bandsaw, right? Kind of. Yeah. Bandsaw, the blade continually moves in a circle. So it's always moving down. A jigsaw, oh. it moves it moves up and down. And okay. so you end up with I, I won't speak for anybody else because apparently I'm the only one that doesn't <laughs> like the jigsaw. I 
end up with these nasty cuts because the blade is going down, cutting, and then it comes up and it rips. And so mm-hmm. occasionally, you know, the cuts are just gross because of the way that the blade works. Yeah. Whereas every other saw, well, not every other saw, most other saws, the blade continues in the same direction. A circular saw, it spins in one direction. So it never comes back. Yeah. The bandsaw is the same way. So you end up getting nicer cuts because it's not having to cut and then tear. It's just cutting. Okay. So. You would probably think all the cuts on, on the wood that I've cut are terrible then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't own a jigsaw. When I was a freshman, I bought a just a hand saw. Yeah. Because I figured yeah. uh, power tools in the dorms probably, well, they probably don't want to hear a circular saw turn on in the dorms. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. So my strategy for cutting boards has always been just like put it up against a door frame and brace it with my foot and then cut it with the saw <laughs> that which works, too, works you know? but it's always splintery at the end yeah so yeah i just got i just bought a drill for the overhead camera uh, rig project oh, and yeah. oh cool. man that is it's just mind-bogglingly helpful i used yeah. to be like yeah. oh i can get by with a screwdriver nah <laughs> yeah and and like something that you know a lot of people are afraid to spend money on tools because they think it's like oh what if i'm not getting one that's good or whatever mm-hmm. But if you're looking for something basic like that, just go to garage sales, go to yard sales, go to Craigslist, go to, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Goodwill, places mm-hmm. like that. People are dumping used tools constantly. And it and at that point, you're spending five bucks for something. It doesn't matter if it lasts you six months or a year or whatever. Yeah. It'll help you get a thing done. And you don't have to have nice stuff to get things done. I mean, you know, if you start doing more of it, eventually you're going to want to buy a tool that's going to last longer and be faster or more precise. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to have that stuff to get started. So that's yeah, a really good hands. idea. Actually. Or, or ask one of my podcast mates mentioned this one time, go around to your and he was talking to a kid, mm-hmm. but he said, go around to your parents, friends and ask them if they have any tools in their garage that they don't use. And you will almost always find somebody who has a drill mm-hmm. because they need a drill because they own a house, but they don't ever use it. And they're just like, yeah, take this, <laughs> get it out of my way. And you'd be surprised how many people will just give you tools that they have that they don't need. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. Actually, last night I was over at my mom's friend's house and he gave me a pair of hockey skates. So <laughs> There you go. Stuff laying around in garages that people don't use. That's right. That's a good idea. I got to say, whenever I go into Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever I go, there is like partly this, I don't know, primal urge to acquire all tools, especially ones that are shaped like pickaxes, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's this other, the kind of like pulling teeth mentality where it's like, I only need a drill for this one project I'm working on right now. Why would I want to pay 70 bucks for it? But yeah. then, you know, it, it ends up coming in handy so many times in the future that I've just found like. I bought that drill for the overhead shooting project and I have used it probably four times since yeah. then for other things completely unrelated. And for me, it's happened several times where I'll buy a tool without a specific need for it mm-hmm. just because like I really want a laser, a laser engraver. Super cool, right? Yeah. What am I going to use that for? I have no idea, but I did buy one and it's not here yet. So when I get that, and this has happened with other things, once I have it at my disposal, I'm will start thinking of uses for it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. You know, if you have a drill that you're you buying just for one thing, once you have it around, you will probably naturally start looking for things to do with it. You know, you'd be like, oh, well, I could tighten that doorknob that's been loose since I moved into this place. You yeah. Know, or whatever. So I, I, I think, you know, going overboard and just buying a bunch of stuff to have it, that's not a good plan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, getting the basics just to have them on hand, I think you will definitely find uses for them. Yeah. 
And I'm guessing you probably recommend just a basic toolkit as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's always good yeah. to have hand tools. You know, you need to have a hammer. And like you were saying, a hand saw, like an actual just saw mm-hmm. is a great thing to have, even if it's just a small one, because there's a lot of times where using a circular saw or a jigsaw is overkill. Like you just need to cut something really small Yeah. and doing a handsaw is cleaner and quieter and easier. And so, yeah, basic That's toolkit true. is a good thing to have. It does. It's coming. It comes in handy when it's like 10 PM and I really yeah. want to cut something. Right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> cool. Well, Hey Bob, this has been a great interview. It's awesome talking with you. And once again, Thanks for all. I guess I'm getting like a ton of different tips. I keep going back to the overhead <laughs> shooting rig, but the joke yeah. heads everything. Uh, your channel's awesome, and I definitely think people should check it out. But you also have a website, which I was really impressed with. A lot of YouTubers just do YouTube, and they don't mm-hmm. think about the website. And like coming from web development to YouTube, I've always been like, it's cool to have a kind of a home base. And then like I went to your site, and I was like, hey, you have exactly that. Yeah, I think it's a business play as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a smart thing to do. Real quickly, I know we're trying to go, but I think for anybody that's looking to create content online, Mm -hmm. if you don't own a platform, you are at risk for whatever, or you are, you know, yeah, you're bound to whatever that platform decides to do. So if you have a central place where that you control, no matter what you do in business, otherwise, at least you have a place where people can find you. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if somebody decided to buy YouTube tomorrow and shut it down, people could still find me and what I do. So. Yeah. And so I, when I started making videos, they would do way better than the articles, but I still take probably an hour or two per video to write a full article that basically goes over all the content just Mm -hmm. because I don't want, I don't want like the centralized kind of hub of my entire business to be YouTube because then it's a a platform somebody else owns. And then, you know, you have less flexibility for selling things or you know, doing live streaming or whatever. I want it to be kind of like an offshoot, like a satellite. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's how you think of it. Cause I noticed you also do full articles for your projects as well. I did. Um, I actually have stopped doing that because I kind of reevaluated the value to cost. Oh, for real? Okay. Um, yeah. And I found that that's actually not as beneficial to the time relative to the time that I was putting into it. So yeah, I've had to back off that a little bit, but I agree with the premise for sure. How long have you been doing that? Because I will admit, sometimes I think, you know, is it worth it for me to do this? And I did just ask a writer to start helping me with those. Yeah, I actually stopped writing them about a month ago. And it's just for me, for what I do, it's just not as as beneficial. But And have you noticed any kind of downturn or anything? No. No negative effects? <laughs> no. I actually asked my Patreon supporters specifically that question before I stopped doing it. I said, you know, like, where, where do you find the most value? And everybody was like, I don't even go to the website. I watch the videos. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> 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 Interesting. Well, maybe there's some, some soul searching to be done there. Cool. Well, Bob, thanks for coming to the show once again. If people want to connect with you online, where should they go? Um, everything is at iliketomakestuff.com. And I'm on, you know, all the social networks at I like to make stuff except for Twitter. It's I like to make stuff with one F because they have a character limit. Oh, yep. (laughs) Yep. Cool. Well, I have all those links up in the show notes and I know you mentioned there was this woodworking basic tools guide on there. So Mm -hmm. I'll try to find that and put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that about does it for this episode of the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview and you learned something new from it. And once again, if you want to find those show notes with links to all the websites that we talked about, all the tools and apps, you can find those 
over at CIGpodcast.com and find that episode 123 link on the page. You can also find a huge collection of all of my favorite apps, resources, physical gear, books, and everything that can help your life as a student become better in general over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. And if you haven't seen it recently, we recently did a massive upgrade of the page. It's completely redesigned. It works just much, much better. So I really think you're going to enjoy it if you go and check it out. Lastly, if you want to support this show, you can go onto iTunes and leave a rating and review that helps to bump the show up the rankings and helps more students find it in the future. So definitely thank you so much. If you do that huge, huge appreciation goes out to you. And that is all I got for this episode. So until next week, stay cute.